We're going to start today with died suddenly. What does that mean? Someone died suddenly has become the new code for the covid vaccine is killing people. Now, this has all come to an extremely stupid crescendo because of what happened with the collapse and cardiac arrest of NFL football player DeMar Hamlin on the field uh, during an NFL game uh, a little over a week ago. And as you know, if you've been watching this program, because we've been we've been following it, I even got some voicemails about it that I played for you. The gist of the story is that DeMar Hamlin collapsed, not because he got hit in a particular way, but because of the covid vaccine, the covid vaccine, which, by the way, nobody knew whether DeMar Hamlin had actually received at the time that people started saying the vaccine is to blame. And this brings us to a bigger story that has been building the died suddenly conspiracy theory is the idea that people who have received the covid-19 vaccine are either dying at an unusual rate. The story is always otherwise healthy people are suddenly dying for unexplained reasons. That's one piece of it Um, or experiencing health effects uh, of different different kinds. Now, there is a lot that we could say about this and so many different things. There's even a film called Died Suddenly, which rehashes a lot of these same debunked claims. But a lot of this has to do with some really basic logical fallacies that I hope I've done an okay job of educating people about over the years on the show. Uh, And it also has to do with something called the base rate bias. So there's really two things going on here. First of all, it's a fundamental issue of correlation versus causation. We sometimes call this post hoc ergo propter hoc, meaning it happened afterwards. Therefore, it happened because of or to put it another way. B happened after a therefore a must have caused B. And uh, when you zoom out, you very quickly see how faulty this sort of thinking is. So let's start tight and then we'll zoom out. Let's start with DeMar Hamlin. Are there examples of cardiac arrest during sporting events among athletes? Yeah, there are, Um, you know, in, in major sports. Detroit Lion Chuck Hughes had a fatal heart attack on the field in 1971. That's the only NFL player to die while playing. Um, Danish soccer player Christian Eriksson uh, suffered cardiac arrest during a tournament in 2021. Hockey Hall of Famer Chris Pronger's heart stopped when he was hit in the chest by a hockey puck. NHL player Jay Boomeister or Baumeister, I'm not exactly sure on the pronunciation, collapsed on the bench after a cardiac episode. Mark Vivian Foe died during a 2003 semifinal match from an undiagnosed heart condition. That was a soccer death. All of these um, uh, have not have not been claimed to have anything to do with vaccines. Most of them predate the covid vaccines. So the DeMar Hamlin situation is not unique, but that's not really the big story. The big story is you have to understand base rates. When you test a vaccine, as was done by Pfizer and Moderna before the covid vaccines were fully released to the public, um, a lot of these uh, studies, clinical trials had 40,000 adults, for example, 40,000 adults. And so someone who wants to think critically about this issue rather than fear monger or spread conspiracy theories would say, if you have a group of adults, if you take 18 plus 40,000 people 
distributed a, a, among ages. How many of them would you expect to die over a three month period aside from whether you're testing anything? And what I mean by that is if you take a, a group of 40,000 people and you just follow them for three months, you would expect some to die if their ages are normally distributed. And it's a tough question to answer exactly for a vaccine test group because it could depend on particular choices that are made for who's included or who's not who's not included. But there's something called the crude death rate. That's the number of deaths per thousand people a year. Overall, for in the US, the crude death rate is 7.8, meaning over the course of a year, you would expect 7.8 deaths per hundred people of per thousand people for all different causes. Now, if we use that rate, we would estimate that over a three month period, you would expect between five and six deaths per hundred people. These are rough numbers. So if you've got a group of 40,000 people, you would expect to see about 235 of them die over a three month period. This is aside from testing anything, but that's just an estimate. And the other thing that's important to, to consider is that that number that I gave you, 7.8, that's not just adults, that's everybody. That includes younger people. The death rate for 18 plus, again, aside from testing a vaccine, would be higher than the death rate for the entire population because the risk of death increases with age. And when you do only 18 plus, you would have a higher expected death rate than for people of all ages all the way down to newborn. So it's an estimate. The number of people you would expect to die in a group of 40,000 would vary. But the point of it is the fact that people died in the three months after getting a vaccine doesn't actually tell us anything. People die and in a group of 40,000 people will die. So then we get to this particular died suddenly conspiracy theory here. They want to talk about young people are dying. Healthy young people are dying. Now, first of all, when we say healthy, in many cases, we don't actually know the full history and what we mean by healthy can vary in a lot of different ways. So that is fallacious and lacks evidence at the top of the uh, of the discussion. But here's the, the really important thing. The crude death rate for those aged 18 to 34 is about three point three deaths per thousand people per year. That's just average crude death rate in the United States. The CDC believes about 65 percent of those aged 18 to 24 got a full regimen of the covid vaccine. That means the two initial doses. Forget about boosters. That's not part of the data. But 65 percent of those 18 to 24 got the two doses. That means if we have about 32 million people aged 18 to 24, 65 percent of them are vaccinated, meaning 21 million people aged 18 to 24 received the full dose of vaccines. If you look at that crude death rate and you look at the number of people who have gotten vaccinated, you would expect 70,000 deaths among that group over the course of a year. Now, you will have endless circumstances. You will have uh, motor vehicle accidents. You will have uh, cardiac episodes. You will have cancer. You will have all you will have covid-19 in some of them. you will have all those different things. The fact that some people aged 18 to 24 died in the period after which they got a vaccine tells you nothing. Five stories, 10 stories, 20 stories about a 21 year old who died seven months after getting a vaccine. 
and we don't exactly know the circumstances or we vaguely know, but it's a privacy issue. It doesn't tell us anything about the safety of vaccines. And what is missing from this analysis in most cases is this issue of the base rates. What are the base rates of death in all of these different categories? It's basic stats, it's basic research methods, and it's basic common sense and logic. And that is not a surprise then that it is completely missing from the minds and the discussions of these conspiracy theorists. So don't fall for it. Don't fall for it. Understand these concepts, causation, correlation, base rates, critical stuff. When Republicans start to control things, politics gets very stupid in the United States. That's something we are very quickly learning. And we have a new scandal. Is that even the right word? A scandal involving classified documents and Joe Biden when he was vice president. Let me tell you what's going on and then let me tell you what these right wing clowns are saying. CNN reports classified documents from Joe Biden's time as vice president discovered in a private office. What exactly happened? Here's a CNN report explaining it. These were documents uh, the White House says that were found by the former president, by the current president's uh, attorneys in November as they were closing out uh, an office that the the, the former vice president, Biden, of course, uh, had set up an office uh, with the University of Pennsylvania at the Penn Biden Center here in Washington. And they were closing out these offices when they found what they say were fewer than a dozen documents that were labeled as classified. Now, a number of these documents were also subject to the Presidential Records Act. And according to the White House, uh, these were now turned over to the National Archives, which has asked the Justice Department uh, to look into it. Now, right. uh, we're told uh, now, Jake, that the that the Attorney General Merrick Garland has asked uh, the U.S. Attorney in Chicago to conduct a review of these document, uh, do- documents, uh, which is a standard process that they would go through. This is uh, akin to the process that uh, happened after the National Archives asked the Justice Department to look into these classified materials that were recovered from Mar-a-Lago, from the former President Trump's uh, residence. So it is a process that the Justice Department recently went through, obviously, with uh, Donald Trump. Of course, the difference here is that according to the White House, uh, it was the the president's uh, legal team that reached out to NARA to turn over uh, these documents, uh, as opposed to with Trump, who fought for months and months uh, not to turn over documents that the archive said uh, needed to be turned over. So that's one critical difference. But there are actually a number of other critical differences. Misplacing and stealing documents are not, in fact, the same thing. Now, investigate everything. Investigate this. I don't know anyone on the left who's saying don't investigate. But misplacing and uh, stealing documents are dramatically different things. It doesn't matter to a lot of these right wingers who are immediately saying things like, for example, what Marjorie Taylor Greene said last night on Fox News propagandist Tucker Carlson's program. Well, this is a huge story. It's very serious. As a matter of fact, Joe Biden conceivably stole those documents. Conceivably is doing some heavy lifting in that statement. What people need to understand is the president of the United States is the only one that can declassify documents, not the vice president. For Joe Biden to steal documents and have (laughs) possession of them, this is a serious investigation and the communists at NARA can't hide it anymore. And now there's no communists at NARA. Garland and the Department of Justice, they have to be held accountable if 
if they don't treat Joe Biden exactly the same way they're treating President Trump. Yeah, they should be treated the same way in that the facts should be evaluated by law enforcement. Now, it's really important to understand this story. These documents were in a locked closet. Joe Biden's attorneys found them, immediately contacted the National Archives. Remember, with Trump, it was throw all this crap in a box, take it to my house at Mar-a-Lago. Here, you had documents that were misplaced. And as soon as they were found, rather than trying to hide and keep the documents, Biden's lawyers proactively reach out to the National Archives. Dramatic difference from what we saw with Trump. And then they were handed over to the archives the next day, as opposed to fighting for months, lying and claiming that you turned them over. You didn't being caught on tape, moving them between locations while still not turning them over. Barely comparable. I'm consistent. Investigate it. It's being investigated. I love that. Let's investigate this. And hey, you know what? If Joe Biden's house needs to have a a search warrant served as a result, go ahead and do it. I'm not getting in the way. Uh, But of course, we know that the circumstances are completely different. Now, it doesn't matter to them, to people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, to whoever. It doesn't matter. They want to say, hey, this is the exact same thing Trump did. And he's being treated differently. Actually, he's being treated the same. It's being investigated. It's the circumstances that are completely different. I hope you're all buckled in for two years of this because this is what the next two years are going to be like. And it'll be Hunter Biden. Maybe they'll go back to Hillary and Benghazi. They might investigate Obama's tan suit. It's going to be that sort of stuff. And when Marjorie Taylor Greene is shifting into being seen as a sort of de facto spokesperson for the center of power of the Republican Party, you know it's going to get really stupid. Tomorrow, 6 p.m. Eastern is the next David Pakman show town hall. I hope you will join me. We will be streaming live. I will be taking questions and comments from everybody in the audience. We will give priority to our website members and you can sign up at joinpacman.com in order to get instant access to the bonus show. Oh, the bonus show where you want to make money. Yeah. Everybody else that makes money to fund themselves is bad. And you will get priority access to talking to me during the town hall. Thank your lucky stars every day. You're not Dave Packman. Well, you some people want to talk to me, Alex. OK, and we'll be talking to some of them tomorrow. We'll take a quick break and be back right after this. Every day we see more and more stories about what tech companies and ISPs are doing with your data. Facebook just settled a huge lawsuit alleging they gave millions of users data to a company helping the Trump campaign. Everyone should be using a VPN every time they connect to the Internet. No excuses. A VPN hides your IP address. It can keep your data private from these companies and even from hackers. That's why I reached out to Private Internet Access about being our sponsor. Private Internet Access is the only VPN that has proven in court multiple times they don't log your browsing history. Their no log practices are also independently audited by Deloitte. No other VPN takes your privacy this seriously. Lightning fast for downloads, streaming content only available in other countries works as well, works with all major streaming platforms with one account. You can use it on up to 10 devices and they have a 30 day money back guarantee and their 24 seven support is amazing. Go to piavpncom slash David to get 83% off, that's only 203 a month, and you'll get four months free 
The link is in the podcast notes. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact based reporting for some much needed clarity in the finance world, helping you to make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like managing finances with a partner without conflict, making a balanced budget, boosting your credit score, saving more money for retirement, all sorts of really useful topics. Most people in the audience know I'm a big financial literacy advocate. I can tell you Nerd Wallet does a fantastic job here. Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Plastic is everywhere we look and not enough is being done about it. One hundred billion plastic bags are used and thrown away every year, but you can help make a change. Our sponsor, Hold On, makes trash and kitchen bags that are heavy duty, plant based, non toxic and 100 percent home compostable, which means they break down in weeks rather than decades. They don't fill up our landfills. They don't pollute our oceans. Their zip seal kitchen bags come in sandwich or gallon bag sizes to fit your needs. And the best part about hold on bags is they work. I use them at home. They're just as good as all of the name brand bags. You fill them up, they stretch and they don't break. Everybody uses trash bags and freezer bags. If you care about the planet, you can do something by using hold on bags instead. And it's a really easy way to do your part. Go shop plant based bags to replace single use plastics all over your home. You'll save 20% when you go to holdonbags.com slash Pacman and use the code Pacman. The link is in the podcast notes. The David Pacman show is, of course, made possible by people like you, people who listen to the podcast or watch the YouTube channel and sign up at joinpacman.com. I would love for you to sign up on the website. You'll get instant access to the bonus show. You get access to a commercial free audio and video stream of the show every day, hours before anybody else gets the show and so many other great member benefits. We will also soon be announcing a member only town hall. Uh, probably in the next few weeks. Stay tuned for that. You can sign up at joinpacman.com and use the coupon code 24 starts now to get a discount. The Donald Trump indictment watch has started as the Georgia grand jury is done. This is a really big deal. And quite literally any day, a Donald Trump indictment could be coming or maybe not at all. We just don't know. The Associated Press reports Georgia grand jury ends probe of Trump and 2020 election. The special grand jury in Atlanta that has been investigating whether then President Donald Trump and his allies committed any crimes while trying to overturn his 2020 loss in Georgia has finished its work, bringing the case closer to possible criminal charges against Trump and others uh, further down. The decision whether to seek an indictment from a regular grand jury will be up to Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis. I thought it was Fannie. Someone told me it's Fannie. I hope I'm getting it right. Willis spokesperson Jeff DeSantis said the office has no comment on the completion of the panel's work. McBurney wrote in his order the special grand jury recommended its report be made public. He scheduled a hearing for January 24 to determine whether all or part of the report should be released and said the district attorney's office and news outlets would be given an opportunity to make arguments at that hearing. 
Since June, there have been dozens of witnesses and on and on and on. In conjunction, last month, the House committee investigating the January 6, 2021 insurrection asserted in its final report that Trump criminally engaged in a multi-part conspiracy to overturn the lawful results of the 2020 presidential election and failed to act to stop his supporters from attacking the Capitol. The report concluded that investigation as well. Uh, This is a possible a fork in the road. It's not really a fork. It's actually a coming together, whatever the opposite of a fork is um, of the Georgia investigation and the House investigation. And we could see no charges. We could see charges in Georgia, but not federally, federally and not from Georgia, or we could see charges from both. And it will be absolutely wacky if we see any of those combinations that involve charges. CNBC also reports Georgia grand jury probing Trump for 2020 election crimes possible 2020 election crimes completes work. Trump also faces a federal criminal investigation into his attempt to overturn the 2020 election, which he lost. Uh, One interesting note um, from this article is where is that interesting note? Um, Willis in January 2022 asked the chief judge of Fulton County to consider her request for impaneling a special purpose grand jury to investigate potential criminal interference in 2020. A majority of the judges in the county approved the request. Okay, so that's the critical line. Not every judge. So even even as to whether this grand jury should have been impaneled, there was not a unanimous uh, decision from the judges that made that decision. And we should expect that similarly, there will be dramatically different perspectives on this at whatever the next step is. And it is um, we can't definitively say that that's a result of disagreements that are partisan in nature. But remember, this idea that judges merely take the law and the facts and put them together and out comes one and only one answer. We regularly see disagreements. And with something as partisan and politically oriented as this, um, we all know there's going to be uh, partisanship involved. Now, if Donald Trump is indicted, it would create all sorts of chaos in the American political landscape. Number one, He's a current candidate for the presidential nomination for his party. And the first question is, what would be the implications and the consequences for his campaign for Donald Trump to be criminally indicted? Would he have have to step down? And what does it mean that he would have to? Would he have to legally? Would he have to because of uh, public opinion? Uh, what what would that do to the Republican ticket? What would it do to Ron DeSantis's chances or would it further open the door for someone other than Trump and DeSantis. We just don't know, but it would be very chaotic. Secondly, public reaction. We have said many times before that Trump is basically right when he says I could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and not lose any support, or at least he was right in 2016. Maybe that was also true in 2020. Is that also going to be true in 2024? Not totally clear to me. At the same time, there are certainly followers of Trump who will see the indictment as a political attack or at least as a politically motivated attack. It might engage them further. It might unite in some way Republicans in favor of Donald Trump. I just don't know. It's unpredictable. Um, And then finally, what would an indictment of Trump mean for the future of the country? And what I mean by that is there is this tradition convention. It feels weird to use that term, but there is a precedent and a tradition 
of the DOJ not indicting sitting or former presidents. And we have not seen criminal charges against a former president. And so what would the impact of that be on the country in the future if such an indictment were to take place? So it would be chaos. It would be chaos politically. It would be chaos legally and it could be chaos constitutionally. And it may all happen within a few weeks or not at all or not at all. I am still not convinced that charges are coming, although I believe they are obviously warranted. And I know most of you feel the same way. Tucker Carlson is defending rioters in Brazil and baselessly claiming that the Brazilian election was, quote, rigged. I don't think this will come as a shock to many of you. Fox News propagandist Tucker Carlson, who has taken very strange positions on Russia's invasion of Ukraine, who has taken very strange positions on everything from free speech to terrorism over the years, you know, he says flat out the election in Brazil was rigged. And then he uses that to justify and defend the rioting that we are seeing in the Trump riots Brazil version that we talked about yesterday. Let's listen. Thanks to what was very clearly a rigged election, a convicted criminal called Lula da Silva is now the president of the most important country in South America. Millions of people in Brazil understand exactly what happened. They know that their democracy has been hijacked, possibly forever. But there's not much they can do about that. Lula may be a criminal. In fact, he is. But he has the full support of both the Biden administration and the Chinese government. Well, he won. That's an important detail. He won. So yesterday, in frustration, a group of Brazilian protesters swarmed their legislature. Watch. Mm. Thanks to what was very. So then he then he shows the video. Um, Tucker Carlson then goes on to say that what happened in Brazil is being likened to January 6th. But that that is very much not the case. Let's take a listen to this. You may actually have seen some of that video in the United States over the last couple of days, and you saw it because it has political uses. What's happened in Brazil is being likened to January 6th. And of course, populist leaders in this country are being blamed for it. Oh, it was Trump and Steve Bannon who did it. That's not true. But even if it were true, it would be just the tail end of the story. It would be the result of something that happened before. So the obvious question is, why are protesters in Brazil so angry? Right. Well, they're angry because the new Lula government has eliminated their most basic civil liberties. Lula is working to turn Brazil into a Chinese style dictatorship, and he's doing it very quickly with Hmm. maximum aggression. What? Now, our media don't want to talk about that. Because it's not true. Refuse to. Why? Well, for reasons that should make you very nervous. Yeah. Listen, I'm. It's it's incredible when the right becomes so extreme and unhinged that I end up doing the strangest things on the show. And what I mean by that is I'm no fan of Lula politically in the sense that, of course, if I was in Brazil and my choices were Lula and Bolsonaro, I vote Lula. But I've told you Lula is in the mold of this sort of populist rhetoric, kind of corrupt. in in the vein of some other South American leaders where he's better than Bolsonaro, but it's not like I go, wow, this is someone I really, really think is a f- absolutely fantastic person. But if I'm on the side of the rule of law, there is no option here but to defend the legal basis for Lula's win period, to defend the legal basis for Lula being the president and to unanimously and and categorically condemn 
what is happening in Brazil and a similar attempt to what we saw in the United States, because at the end of the day, Tucker says, well, it's different. It's different in that the mass arrests of the rioters seem to have started more quickly. That's that's good. It's different in that it's happening after the inauguration rather than before that. That's true. It's different in that the guy they're rioting on the behalf of Bolsonaro is in Orlando in a hospital after going to KFC in a Publix. That's different okay, than what Trump was up to on, on the day of the Trump riots. But it is the same in the sense that people are destroying property and being violent and trying to overwhelm police because they want a candidate that lost to be the president. That's the exact same thing. Brazil counted all of its votes in hours, just the way MAGA wants the United States to do. They did it in Brazil, but still they say it was fraudulent. Brazil's military found no fraud in the election. And then they say, well, uh, they but they didn't rule out the fraud. Well, what, what exactly do you mean by that? They didn't rule it, but they didn't find any. Oh, no, no, no. They, but that, that, that's that's weird language. Uh, it is indeed the same thing in terms of its motivations. And at this point, should we even be surprised that we are seeing Tucker defend the rioters? I say no. We'll have these clips on our Instagram, which you can find by searching Instagram for David Pakman show. And please make sure you are subscribed to the YouTube channel at youtube.com slash the David Pakman show. One of our sponsors today is Zipix nicotine toothpicks. Zipix brings you a convenient alternative to smoking and vaping and the vape clouds, the ashtrays, the thing in your lip that people can see. I've seen that around. This is an easier and less messy way to curb the cravings. And you can use Zipix just about anywhere. Zipix is available in six flavors with two or three milligrams strength. The nicotine and the flavor are long lasting and Zipix has helped countless people kick the bad habits and they are bad habits. Zipix toothpicks are FDA registered. Their customer service is second to none. It is one of the most cost effective alternatives Also, check out their B12 and caffeine toothpicks. See for yourself why so many people have switched to Zipix toothpicks. You can only get Zipix online. Go to ZipixToothpicks.com and get 10% off with the code PACMAN. That's Z-I-P-P-I-X Toothpicks.com. Promo code PACMAN saves you 10%. The info is in the podcast notes. It's a new year. Many of us are trying to make new positive changes. Here's something really simple that could be a game changer. Our sponsor, Athletic Greens. Every day I take a scoop of AG1. I get 75 high quality vitamins, minerals and whole food sourced ingredients to last me all day long. This way, I just know my nutritional bases are covered for the entire day. It has everything I want. And that's important to me. Rather than doing the individual supplements and vitamins or whatever, I don't want to do any of that. Okay. AG1 
is the simplest way to just get everything I want for my nutritional foundation each day. A G one is also a great bang for your buck. You're going to end up spending way more on all those bottles of vitamins and supplements and minerals. So save some money, make your life easier. Just a scoop of A G one. I love the travel packs, which let me take A G one wherever I go. I have the big pack of A G one at home. And when you go to athleticgreens.com slash Pacman, You'll get five free travel packs plus a free year supply of vitamin D, which I use during the winter. That's athleticgreens.com slash Pacman. The link is in the podcast notes. Today, we're going to be speaking with Dr. Eli Merritt, who's a political historian at Vanderbilt University and also editor of the recently released collection of essays, The Curse of Demagogues, Lessons Learned from the Presidency of Donald J. Trump. It's really great to have you on. I appreciate your time. Thanks. Good to be here, David. So I I think one place to start would be one of the big discussions that's now happening in the aftermath of the Trump presidency. And, you know, we're we're still waiting to know whether there will be criminal charges or not. And that may be part of this conversation. Mm -hmm. Did we learn that the checks and balances and safeguards put in place by the founders were not strong enough if we had a president? interested and willing to do the things Trump did? Or or is that too bold a statement to make right now? Well, I think we learned that lesson in something else. Uh, the the checks and balances that were put in place by the founders uh, back over 200 years ago, as you know, with the Electoral College and the powers of impeachment and conviction and, and disbarment from future office. Yes. For very long, the Electoral College has not worked. And so the, the real truth is soon after uh, the, the Constitutional Convention, 1787, ratification, 1788, political parties became the dominant instruments of our politics, and also they became the dominant instrument of checks and balances against demagogues and authoritarians making it to the presidency. So uh, many things, I believe, failed in the years 2015 until continuing today, but the most significant failure of checks and balances, the most significant failure of gatekeepers against demagogues who become authoritarians is clearly the political parties. Our political parties are woefully weak today. And we can talk more about sort of the origins of that, but they became relatively emasculated starting in the early 1970s when all checks and balances at the nominating conventions were removed. Let's talk a little bit more about that. You know, I I have not found anyone who disagrees with me that Donald Trump could not have won a Democratic primary. Now, the reasons why people might disagree with my reason is a little bit crude, which is even though I'm neither a Republican nor a Democrat, I don't believe Democrats would have fallen for what Trump was offering, whereas the Republican electorate by definition did fall for it in that they made him the nominee in in 2016. Uh, is that a fair? Is that one of the differences right now between the parties in terms of the constituents? And then are the differences between the constituents greater than the differences between the party structures? I would say it seems very clear right now at this point in our history that the Democratic Party is the party of the constitutional rule of law. It is the party of ethical leadership. No party's perfect, and no, and no, and, and the entirety of the political uh, figures, po- politicians in any party, are, are not ethical. Um, but I think it's a hard question to ask. 
Democrats would never elect Trump. But I, I think the most important thing to clarify here is that we have descended somewhat into what I like to refer to as a demagogic culture. And I, I would not ever uh, remove the possibility that as the culture and the politics become more and more fierce, hmm. that some liberal-leaning demagogue might come along who has similar tendencies and angers and frustrations and a personality as fierce as Trump's. And if we get into this black and white thinking, we think the other side is evil. I do believe Democrats are also susceptible to uh, demagogues. That's why what we do in one party is something we should do in other parties. And again, I think the most important area of intervention, the most flexible point of intervention is the uh, presidential nominating system. A lot of people don't know that very little law governs, certainly not the Constitution, governs political parties and the nominating conventions. Right. So it's just a matter of the parties deciding to make changes. And they could do some inter-party compacts to, to, to guarantee that each of them will veto the emergence of individuals who clearly do not support the Constitution, will not solemnly swear to uphold free and fair elections and the peaceful transfer of power and other things. When so, we talk about... Today, I think the Democratic Party feels quite safe. I really do. I agree with you there. But it would feel like hubris to predict over the next 10 or 15 or 20 years, if we don't clean some things up, that they could become susceptible to demagogues. I truly oh, agree. I agree. I all of my assessments are as of today. And, you know, when, when we hear people say when Trump would say at the State of the Union, the U.S. will never be a socialist country, it's sort of like never is a long time, you know, maybe not. I don't think next year there's not too many socialists right now in positions of power, but I think never we want to be careful with never. If we go back to 2016 a little bit, there's a lot of blame that is often placed for how Trump, how it, no, everybody failed to stop Trump. And sometimes it's, you know, James Comey doing that extra press conference to talk about Hillary's emails. That was totally unnecessary. That was the difference maker because it was so close or the media giving free publicity to Trump is what allowed him to keep accreting two, three, four percent every time another primary candidate dropped out. That was the reason. Or Democrats selecting a poor candidate in Hillary Clinton is what's to blame. Now, when it's so close, it's very hard to say one thing is to blame because any one of those things could make a difference. But given that, how do we assess the lack of ability to have stopped Trump in 2016? Um, I, I think that uh, responsibility uh, goes around everywhere to our basic education system, to the structure of our news media, as you're saying, and, uh, uh, you know, in, events like James Comey's relief, release of the emails or his judgment about that are very significant. But I would again posit that the only surefire direction to go is for political parties to block the emergence of demagogues and authoritarians entirely from entering the general election. If I'm not mistaken, all of your questions related to the general election. And so there are certainly there are reforms that can help to prevent a demagogue or authoritarian within the uh, general election from succeeding. They're, they become for their base, you know, religious figures and addictive figures. So uh, the most important thing that can be done, if, if there were two things I would recommend, it would be first and foremost that the political parties do their job and return to the party having the power and the platform having the power and the candidate having to adjust to the platform 
which I think should begin in both parties to have statements that surround the Constitution and the oath of office, for example. The other thing where we woefully failed is, is in the process of impeachment, conviction, and disbarment from future office. Uh, the, the fact that after January 6th, after four to five years of witnessing Trump's uh, bigoted speech and damage to our, to our nation, that 43 senators voted not to convict him, either shows they do not understand democracy, they do not understand demagogues, they do not understand that democracies can fail, or that they succumbed to the cowardice pathway of hyperpartisanship. So I think both play the role. So those are the two most important places for intervention. We could make an effort to at least educate our politicians uh, to understand these phenomena better. You know, the interesting thing about that is what you describe is what many Bernie Sanders supporters say happened in the 2020 primary and they don't like it. And what I mean by that is there is a story that's told and there's degrees of truth to all of these things, of course, that despite the people wanting Bernie, the party coordinated. Uh, I'm now searching into my memory, but it was, I believe, Pete Buttigieg and a couple other people getting out at the perfect time to get Biden, South Carolina with which he built momentum to eventually become the nominee. We all know the story. And a lot of people are angry because they say, now the people should have the power, even if Bernie, whether Bernie was destined to win or lose in a general election, it should be the people, not the party that gets to decide. You're saying something quite different, which is actually the party needs to be the safeguard. I'm saying something completely different. I do. I believe powerfully in representative government. And representative government has always focused, representative government with layers of democracy and layers of checks and balances has always uh, survived and functioned better than pure direct democracies. So yes, what I would actually like to see happen in the reform I, I think would solve or get close to solving the problem of demagogues getting into the White House would be to let the parties pick the presidential nominees and let the people pick the president. That is in fact the way it was done for approximately 190 years in our country. And we switched that in the early 1970s. And I think we're living the consequences of making that switch. So I would have the people be very involved in voting. The people would vote for the delegates. And hopefully by ranked choice voting, that may be something you've covered on your program. Indeed, indeed. Ranked choice voting. And then the delegates would go the stepwise fashion to the way it used to be done is county conventions, state conventions, and the national conventions. I think today they would just go straight to the national convention. And there they do their work, just like we elect uh, delegates to the House of Representatives in this country. We elect them to go up there and do work, which is to study the situation and make determinations. So the first thing these elected delegates would do is establish the party platform. And then they would determine which of the candidates who are involved actually will fulfill the mission of the party platform and not take over the party the way Trump has done. Most, most countries in the world in variations do something like I've just described. Very few countries have direct primaries, and I, I do believe they will continue to be uh, uh, arrows in our sides and possibly fatal to our democracy, meaning we will become a sham democracy, not meaning we're gonna engage in ultimate civil war, but it's a sad thing for me to think we'll be a sham democracy. We're only a democracy in name, and otherwise, corrupt officials are, are engineering everything behind the scenes to look forward a little bit. I'm curious about your assessment 
of what is currently happening within the Republican Party in the sense that we have these very unusual circumstances in which this demagogue Trump made a very early announcement that he's running in 2024. He has barely left his home since making the announcement. It's unclear really what the case is that he's going to make for his next nomination. A guy who hasn't announced anything, Ron DeSantis, is actually leading Trump in some polling. The speakership fiasco from the last week has exposed it's no longer just pro and anti Trump. Even within the Trump side, you've seen this division. Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert on opposing sides of that division. Is something fundamentally changing here? Um, do you, I want to ask you to say more about that. Change what, what, something changing in the Republican Party for the better or worse? Is that what you're alluding to? Well, better or worse is more of a value judgment. But is the dynamic of it's the people for and against Trump and it's that simple? Is that dynamic changing where you're actually getting even more fracturing, where the MAGA side is now dividing? Well, I, I think what, what, what Trump has done is he has opened the mainstream of the Republican Party and the nation to some extent to what Nelson Rockefeller called back in the 1960s. This is his quotation, the, the lunatic fringe. Mm. So I think it's hard to predict the 20 um, Republicans who were, or so who were opposing uh, Kevin McCarthy. Yeah. I just think evidence a lot of qualities in general that are very destructive to representative government. It is grandstanding. It is not thinking of the best interests of the nation. It's a little bit of this lunatic fringe coming in. So where things go, I am not certain. I, I, I do know that we continue to have within the Republican Party the, the forces of Mitt Romney, who have been somewhat uh, profoundly weakened, I should say. Yeah. So I don't know where the future of it is. My real hope would be that at some point that there will be a conservative party that splits off from this Republican Party and that the American people decide that this way of living through uh, demagoguery and lies and, and fear mongering and hate mongering is not something they want to that. We did that experiment. Now we want to move on from it. That's my hope. So but I do think Ron DeSantis, uh, clearly there, there are criticisms of him. He, he's not a demagogue. If you just look at him speak, you'll determine that the man is, does not have the rhetorical talents and destructive abilities of, uh, of Trump. Some people worry he could become somewhat authoritarian. But I've looked carefully at what he's done in Florida, and there's some questions there. Yeah. But, uh, to my evaluation, DeSantis appears for the Constitution to be a much safer bet than Donald Trump. And Donald Trump, I think, is something's happening for him. I think he's becoming somewhat deflated. Uh, by what's happening. And so hopefully he will uh, he, he, he could implode and, and, and become more dangerous to our democracy, as we have seen with his comments about the Constitution. Yeah. But it's all quite unpredictable, as I'm sure you agree. When we look in history, what sort of events have catalyzed realignments in parties where parties significantly shift? Uh... I think it what what one discovers, I'm thinking of the beginning of the Republican Party in the 1850s when you asked that, there is a sense that there is a, a national crisis that the uh, that someone needs to address. And the Whig Party, for example, at that time, yeah. was determined not to be willing to go in the direction that the Republican Party wanted at that time. And it was clearly hmm. not an anti-slavery platform, but it was an anti-expansion of slavery platform. So a critical mass had been met there where they felt 
this sickness has gone on in our nation long enough, and we cannot get traction in these other parties. And critically, back then, there was more flexibility in the system. Certainly there was not this entrenched uh, money in politics and the political industrial complex that makes it so hard to form third parties now. That's a bit of a challenge, and it's very worrisome that third parties can be wonderful things. And again, you know, the, the Republican Party was a third party that, yeah. that rapidly grew and did well. So I think it's crisis. And so it could be that the current crisis of demagoguery and authoritarianism and corruption that we're beginning to witness now, that could, in the hands of a Liz Cheney, for example, become a catalyst for starting a third party. And I think it should be done, even if predictions are it can't succeed. We need to see people do the right thing and make efforts in spite of the fact that there's concern that we are a, a, a hopeless two-party system. Yeah, I could not could not agree with you more on that. Um, the collection of essays recently released is The Curse of Demagogues, Lessons Learned from the Presidency of Donald J. Trump. We've been speaking with the editor, uh, Dr. Eli Merritt from Vanderbilt University. Really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. Great to be with you, David. You might remember that a few years ago, uh, the show got hacked and many thousands of dollars were stolen. We never got it back. It's a terrible feeling. It can happen to anyone. But a couple of years ago, we got Aura, which really gives us significantly more peace of mind. And our sponsor Aura is the app that protects you from scammers by alerting you anytime your info like email, passwords, social security number are found in data breaches. Aura also automatically requests removal of your info from search engines and it can reduce spam calls. Aura alerts you quickly about suspicious credit inquiries like if someone tries to take a loan out in your name and Aura's password manager makes it easy to keep your account secure to begin with. Aura also has parental controls for your kids devices. You can restrict apps or manage screen time, set focus time, make sure they're doing homework instead of binging on YouTube. You can try Aura free for 14 days at aura.com slash Pacman. Use the free trial to see if your email password are already out there. You may be surprised. That's A-U-R-A dot com slash Pacman to try Aura free for 14 days. The link is in the podcast notes. The failed former president Donald J. Trump is now suggesting that Republicans work to wreck the economy for the next two years because that would be good for Trump in 2024. If you could imagine a more depraved anti-American idea to benefit oneself politically than this, I quite frankly can't think of it. I mean, if if you put a gun to my head, which many of these people would gladly do, I guess the worst scenario would be allow or even encourage a terrorist attack in order to place me as the person in charge to unite the country after the attack to increase my approval rating. If you say to me, can you think of something worse than let's wreck the economy? Uh, it would probably be that. Let's take a look at what Donald Trump posted to his platform, Truth Social, yesterday. Truth Central. Very, very. La- There's a serious lack of troth here posted in all capital letters, as Donald Trump uh, often does, saying, quote, Republicans can get almost everything back that the old broken crow Mitch McConnell and the real leader, China centric Coco Chow, he by the way, He's he's referring to Mitch McConnell's wife, Elaine Chow, 
That is his sort of racist, xenophobic nickname for her. Stupidly gave up to the Democrats over the last two years by simply playing tough in the upcoming debt ceiling negotiations. Trump is saying don't negotiate, allow the government to completely shut down, allow basic systems to fail, which will wreck the economy. And then that'll help Republicans in 2024. That's what Trump is saying. You have to read between the lines here and it's pretty easy to figure figure out what he's saying with the right negotiators like all of those involved the other night on both sides for speaker. It will be a beautiful and joyous thing for the people of our country to watch. Make America great again. Trump thinks the American people would enjoy watching basic services go unfunded due to political maneuvering because it would be good TV. I mean, the depravity here is one level, but actually I want to put that aside for a moment, put aside for a moment the immorality, the depravity, the lack of ethics of this idea of ruin the economy so that then Trump can swoop in in 24 and say, look, you need to be back and I'll fix all of this right away. Put it aside for a second. I actually believe it's bad political strategy. The long term consequences of a damaged economy I believe outweigh the short term political gain. It takes a long time and a huge amount of resources to recover from an act of deliberately screwing up the economy for two years and forget about would it be irreparable. Let's concede it's reparable, but you could be talking about years, quite frankly, if you were to say let's unite and let's not do the debt ceiling if and when it comes to be necessary. If we need stimulus because of some crisis, let's not do it. If we need funding for a natural disaster, let's not do it on and on and on and on. Right. I actually believe that the damage you do will reach far beyond the two year term that you think would basically be compartmentalized nicely to help you in 2024, because deliberately wrecking the American economy in order to win future elections, of course, it's unethical. Of course, it lacks integrity. Of course, it's a total abandonment of the principles. (laughs) Their principles. Give me a break. It's an abandonment of the principles they claim to 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 uh, value. And of course, it harms society in the short run, but it's bad in the long run. And as a result, it's also not a good idea for the for the Republican Party. Now, Trump views a wrecked economy as a key to his election in 2024. He expects that Kevin McCarthy is going to honor some kind of commitment to wreck the economy to Trump. That would be insane if it is the case. And they need to be held accountable if they do that. Now, let's be honest, if if we if nothing else, I'm honest with all of you. If we are honest, even when Republicans don't say it or don't realize it, their actions have been disastrous for the economy for decades now. That's just the reality trickle down economics where you cut taxes for the rich to uh, raise the tide for all boats doesn't work. Flat out doesn't work. We've had economists on. We've looked at the data just doesn't work. And so Republicans would never say we're going to cut taxes on the rich to wreck the economy. No, they, they might even think it helps the economy, but it doesn't. So the policy has been bad for the economy for a very long time. Um, Reagan exploded uh, spending while cutting taxes. It's been policy for a very long time. Bush started two wars, created the Department of Homeland Security and TSA while giving tax cuts to the rich. Come on, it's the same thing. 
Trump added trillions in debt while giving tax cuts to the rich. This has been what they've done for decades. But now Trump is just openly saying, let's screw it up. Let's screw it up. And then Americans will figure out how much they want Republicans in 2024. It's absolutely disgusting, almost as disgusting as the very ugly war between Lauren Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene. Let's talk about that next. We have now for several weeks been covering. We could call it a rupture. We could call it a crack, a crevasse, maybe between radical Republican Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene and radical Republican Congresswoman Lauren Boebert or Bobert, as Ro Khanna likes to call her. The divide is deepening. Take a look at this. Unhinged is the word that Lauren Boebert is now using to describe Marjorie Taylor Greene. There is a a good Associated Press article. Boebert's backers urge her to tone down the nasty rhetoric. But when you do a search for unhinged, you see uh, Boebert saying the following. I have been asked to explain Marjorie Taylor Greene's beliefs on Jewish space lasers or why she showed up to a white supremacist conference. I'm just not going to go there, Boebert said over the phone as she rode in a car winding through the high canyons near her hometown of Silt before the speakership vote. She wants to say all these things and seem unhinged on Twitter. So be it. So be it. So then we hear from Marjorie Taylor Greene. And Marjorie Taylor Greene says that Lauren Boebert's approach to selecting a speaker isn't serious. Take a listen. I think the American people, no matter how you vote, are sick and tired of drama. And this is nothing but drama. We're, we're on multiple days now with multiple candidates from this group. So I'm not sure how Lauren Boebert, on one hand, can demand so much out of Kevin McCarthy, oh. but then demand nothing out of someone else and be willing to vote for them to be speaker. That's not serious. Um, I don't think that's leadership. And I really see it as more obstruction than progress. Yeah. This is absolutely fascinating. You know, I know that many, many people, sadly, even in my audience, are using the sort of misogynistic term catfight to describe this. Oh, it's a catfight. Oh, whoa. Uh, this is actually a really interesting political rift, and I'm going to tell you why. Before this rift, the Republican Party had MAGA and they had non MAGA. They had the pro Trump Republican Party and the anti-Trump Republican Party. So you had very, very sort of neatly defined for the most part on one side, uh, Mitt Romney, Adam Kinzinger, Liz Cheney, the anti-Trump people. And then you had MAGA and Lauren Boebert was part of MAGA and Marjorie Taylor Greene was part of MAGA. What you are seeing now is an intra MAGA civil war. You still have Mitt Romney, right? And Mitt Romney is not part of this Boebert thing. And Mitt Romney is not part of this Marjorie Taylor Greene thing. Now, he's also in the Senate, so he doesn't vote for the speaker. And in, in that sense, he's also separate. But now you see a, sub, a subsequent division happening within MAGA. And what's going on is that there are basically two bets that you can make. And Marjorie Taylor Greene is making one bet and Lauren Boebert is making a different bet. And it could be entertaining in the short run, but very consequential in the long term for what happens with the Trump movement and whether there is a Trump movement going forward. Marjorie Taylor Greene who was you know, QAnon follower, promoting violence, Jewish space lasers, all this different stuff. 
She has started to reorient herself as a voice of reason within the Republican Party. She is presumably going to get committee assignments back with um, uh, uh, Kevin McCarthy as Speaker of the House. She is now becoming part of the establishment MAGA side. She's still a Trump supporter, but she's probably realizing that Trump's uh, power is diminishing to some degree. She wants to transform herself politically. She's making the bet of I'm going to ease up a little bit on MAGA. I support Trump, but I'm part of this other contingent. Lauren Boebert, on the other hand, is going full in with we are the defectors. We know what's really good for the country. These people like Green and others, they might say they support the ultra MAGA wing, but when it came down to it, they acquiesced or maybe even they gleefully went over to feeling like we're now in power. We are now the, 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 the big the big boys and girls or whatever you want to say. One of the really great things about Boebert targeting green is it's going to pull green back into the mud so she can't wipe herself off and say, I'm with McCarthy now. You know, I'm a uh, you know, in the, in the uh, mafia, you might say I'm now a made man. You know, I'm in a different category at this point. He's a friend of ours rather than just a friend of mine. You know, if you've uh, read books about uh, the, the mafia, some of those terms make sense. Marge wanted to sort of be the rat fleeing the, the sinking ship after the Trump riots failed on January 6th and the red wave failed to materialize. And then Republicans argued with these 20 or so of them uh, resisting and resisting. She saw the opportunity to flee the sinking ship. But Bobert is trying to pull her back in. And it's all good for the left in the sense that the more fractured this movement is, I believe, the better it is for the Democratic Party. If you disagree with me, let me know. We have a voicemail number, which is 2192 David P. You can call anytime. Here's a caller who has a very specific question for me. David, my boy, what would it take you to go to a NASCAR race? Okay. I have never been to a NASCAR race. I don't really care about NASCAR. I don't find it interesting, but I don't have any real opposition to going. I don't know if there are NASCAR races in like the Northeast. I'm I'm just not sure. Maybe up north, like in upstate New York, it's the type of thing. I know upstate New York is is pretty conservative and rural, maybe, maybe up there or not even upstate, like western New York, northwestern New York, maybe there. I would go to a NASCAR race. It wouldn't really be for the racing. The racing seems quite boring, but it would be more as a sociocultural. I would go as an anthropologist, I think is what I'm saying. All right. So if someone wants to take me, uh, maybe we'll we'll document it. We've got a great bonus show for you today. We're going to talk about the rules package passed by Republicans. We're going to talk about what's going on with IRS funding and Republicans. And we will talk about how QAnon is responding to the Brazil riots and more when producer Pat joins me. Sign up at joinpacman.com. Get instant access. It's a great thing. 